Hello, I'm Sarah Ruffi. I am the Woman Warrior Lawyer. And today I have Cemetery Gary joining me. So Gary, if you could briefly introduce yourself and tell us where you're from. Sure. I'm Gary Boyle. So I work over at Restlawn Memorial Park, the cemetery in town. Um, we can go way back. I grew up in Antigo. That's where I was born. Uh, so about an hour from here. Spent some time in Rhinelander for a while there with college and some life years. And then lived up by Ashton and been in Wausau about two and a half years now. And your nickname would imply... Cemetery Gary, what do you do at Restlawn Memorial Park? So I am a family service counselor. I sit down with families that, you know, maybe have recently lost a loved one. We're making plans for the service, for the funeral. Uh, that's one aspect of it. The other side is I'm, you know, basically working sales, trying to, you know, help folks pre-plan, uh, make arrangements, get their, get their affairs in order, get the ducks in a row. Yeah, no pun intended, huh? Exactly. So by selling cemetery plots and cremation space yep. in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you would be selling spots at a cemetery? I don't even think it would ever be in a dream even. It's uh, nothing I ever considered. It, uh, it Actually, we had moved to Wausau for a, a different position and wasn't working out. And so I kind of kept an ear out and I saw something posted, applied for it, and actually was a family friend of my mom that does pre-planning for a funeral home in Antigo. And I've known she did that for decades. So I'd reached out to her and had a good talk. And she's the one that said I should take a shot at it and see what it's like. So even filling out the application, did you even conceive that this is something I really would like to do? It was, it was unique. Yeah. I, I didn't really, uh, I'm still learning things every day and I've been there two and a half years about it. It's, uh, I really didn't even have enough to go on to have a really good idea of what this position was. So by just interviews and questions and then kind of taking a, taking a chance. So what caught your attention or what prompted you to even go down that road? I would say it goes back to even how I've always been. I, I love helping people. My parents raised me. We've always been members of clubs, you know, service clubs, things like that, always helping the community through church or through community events. I've always been like that. And when that's the one thing my, that friend of my, my mom's had said was, you know, this is something where you really sit down with family and they're really their most hurting days or ahead of time, you know, in the days when they're still happily planning together things, but unique times of their life. And you need to be able to connect with them to help make decisions that are difficult, you know, bring up hard discussions, still do right for the company who you're working for, but but also do right for the family. And it's just a, a constant thing you're always running in your mind. And for me, it's just exhilarating is the only thing I can think of. I, I love it. I just really enjoy it. And the, the sitting down with families and, and learning their history and learning their story and then helping them turn that all into whatever we need to take care of that day is, is what kind of makes it all worth it. So do you believe that you're living your purpose? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. There is something that I honestly could never picture doing any other job, any normal job, call it. This is something that's just so unique and so fitting. It's, uh, I can see myself doing this, you know, the, the rest of my life. So what percentage, knowing that there are people that come in and pre-plan, and then there are people that come in because they've lost a loved one. Do you have a rough breakdown between the two groups? Um, I would say when, when we meet with folks, it, it's in, in someone's past, you know, 90% of the time they've already had plans. They maybe at least had maybe some of the plans done where they had space or they had family members that own space that they always knew they were going to use. Not too often, maybe a couple of times a month, it's a scenario where, where someone passes unexpectedly. Maybe they always plan to go to Restlawn, but they didn't do anything, set it up. So when we're meeting with them, then at that time, we're going through a few more, you know, process to, to get them all arranged, things like that. But it depends. Now, some, some of the, the different cultures we work with, uh, a lot of Hmong population in Wausau, they do not believe in pre-planning at all. Uh, spiritually for them to see their name on a, on a headstone, like a granite, you know, tombstone, some might call it. 
that's not you know in there inviting death exactly it means they're all ready to go so they could go at any time now versus you know without it being there it's it's more of a you know freedom yet so they always wait traditionally until someone passes to find space you know to find pick out the memorial all of that it it kind of sometimes ties into how old the person was what they accomplished in their life you know as to how big and grand they might make it so it's a little different so in that scenario you know, those folks we always meet in in an at-need situation, we call it, and we're meeting someone's past, and they, they need space, memorial, all of the items. So it's, it's unique. But, yeah, most of the time I'm sitting now with folks that have, have quite a bit of the things planned already. So I would be willing to venture a guess that most people are reluctant to face their own mortality. I do estate planning as part of my practice, and people talk about, yeah, 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 I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. But then when it comes to actually doing it, they have a really hard time with that. So it's building a relationship over time before they are comfortable making that leap or taking that decision. Have you experienced that as well? Oh, definitely. Um, for us, and it'd probably be the same when you're talking to with folks, there's kind of an age range. The 50s, 60s are, are when people get to that age or maybe they've retired or soon to retire that they start thinking seriously about it. Um, another big one is when they might lose a loved one, uh, mom, dad, you know, uncle, maybe they were close to aunt, things like that, where then they really start to, uh, to think about it. Um, but yeah, a lot of the folks I actually do sit down and talk with, they talk about thinking about it for years, you know, years and years. And they were, it's the sake of, gosh, they could have sat down 10 years ago and, and saved so much money or at least didn't have the stress on their minds, you know, for this last 10 years. But they, uh, it's one of those things people are really good at putting on the back burner. So what are some of the things that you do to help clients take the edge off? Laughter. That's, uh, that's what I'm, that's probably what helps me fit in and why I enjoy it is when I had started that, my, my wife was worried about me because I'm kind of the, the big teddy bear absorbs it all and just, you know, carries a lot of stress sometimes and then nobody might know, know about it around me. So she was worried that this would wear me right down. And every week I go home knowing that I've laughed way more than I've cried because I do both with families. But even on some of the roughest days that I've sat with families, I'm still getting laughter out of them. We're still having a chuckle about maybe dad's story about mom or, you know, vice versa. So it, it's, uh, it, it's unique. Laughter is, is gotta be the one thing I use to just help everybody calm down. You know, we, we always spend time at the beginning sitting down, no matter the appointment. We're just talking, you know, just like we are here. You know, I want to learn more about mom that just passed, or I want to learn about husband, wife that I'm sitting with the pre-plan. How long have you lived in Wausau? You know, all the, Call it an icebreaker, but it, it, uh, you, you do get a connection with families when you're sitting there and it really helps you accomplish whatever we're, we're set out to do that day then. Do you find, cause I, I do a lot of chatting with my clients as well. And do you find that when you really get to know them, you can get a better feel, even if they don't come right out and tell you what they want, but you can get a better feel for, what would be a good fit for them simply from the the small talk of getting to know each other? Totally, totally. Uh, usually from the stories in the beginning of how many kids they have or what do they do for fun, where have they lived, you know, they'll throw keywords that will pop back in my mind as we're talking about their arrangements. You know, whether it is they're, they're more of a outdoorsy sort of like hiker person, meaning they'd rather be outside, you know, or they make comments about the weather, you know, don't like winters. Sometimes those folks make the inclination to go indoors for arrangements. You know, it's, it's a lot of it pulls true all the time. You know, whatever we talk about comes up again later in the conversation. And I know that you and I, we've chatted about these things as we've done our own Zoom calls for estate planning and and cemetery sales. In in my book, Be Happy in Both Worlds, I talk about systems. And I talk about systemizing things and forms. Do you have your questions kind of 
set into a form that even if it's a checklist in your head of these are some of the questions that I want to ask to really get to know my clients or my customers? There, there is. I mean, I'm always all over the place, you know, so we might end up spending 20 minutes talking about old snowmobiles or something because we found a similarity. So there's always veering off the path. That's a guarantee. My appointments always run longer than a, a similar person in this, you know, position, like at a different park that I know. I mean, they, their appointments might run two hours and mine run three because we talk more, but that's what I enjoy about it too. You're learning so much more about the person. It's not, it's so much less transactional then it's, I'm actually being that person to help, you know, it's just, I don't know, kind of how it, it fits and works out for me, I guess. Well, and before we got started, we were chatting, seeing as how you asked, is there going to be alcohol there? Cause I didn't realize I was that intimidating <laughs> and you were sharing a story about how, Mom had lost her husband and she was there with the two daughters, one of whom was a bartender. So you joked about having rum chata in the refrigerator and the girls were having a good time drinking coffee and rum chata while you were helping mom. Yep. It's, that's probably the, 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 one of the nicest things I love about working where I work too. It's, it's unique. It's different. We're family owned. So it's more about doing whatever's best for the families we're working with at that time versus the bottom dollar, or this is the only way we can do things. So in the mind of that, you know, we, we do toasts out at the park sometimes, champagne or old fashions, whatever was fitting for the person who had passed, you know, that was a tribute. So at times there's a couple of different alcohols, you know, laying around in the fridge or something like that. So it's, it's offered all the time. We make, sometimes it's an icebreaker joke, you know, would you like a coffee, a water, whiskey, you know, cause they, yeah, because they've, they've just had the worst day of their lives. You know, they've gotten the phone call or they've been at the hospital the last two days with no sleep. And they've had a bad day. It's just a, it's a rough day to meet somebody for the first time. So we're trying everything we can to lighten the, the mood, you know, try to get that little laughter. I mean, it, it really does the little jokes, but there are some that, yeah, you set me up. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's just what's, it's ready. You know, they're ready for what. <laughs> so how do you tell? Cause I know there are some people that are going to be uptight that if you tried the, would you like, coffee, water, shot of whiskey, they'd be like, I'm out of here. And there are other ones that are like, give me the bottle. It's How do you read the people to figure out just how far you can go? It's it's one of those internal instincts. I don't think you could ever teach somebody how to do it. You have to, uh, you're just going off body language, you know, and, and smiling or, or, you know, little comments they might make might make me more apt to make that or otherwise you don't. You know, it, it's a... Uh, I, to me, it's always just been a gut instinct. When a, when a family walks in, I know that this is one that I might, you know, say that sort of comment right off the bat. It doesn't always get said, but it is, uh, I don't know, you just kind of go with your gut on that, I guess. Kind of watch the body language and the interaction between the people on their way in, I would guess. Yeah, little things like that. I don't know. It's kind of like when I met you for the first time when I stopped by with the book. We ended up talking for 40 minutes for no reason. You know, I'll bet things you just never happened. thought that you'd end up joining the Kiwanis Club that day when you came in. Nope, or meeting Dwight, <laughs> or sitting right here tonight. No, none of that. I mean, same with that. That's why I mean the, of, of the whole picture of doing what I do, working at a cemetery. These are all things that I never believed would be in my future for the next couple of years at Wasa. You know, we were brand new here. So it just, yeah, a lot of things. And you were always in sales, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it worked a lot of retail back when I lived in Rhinelander. Um, once I was up in uh, Ashland, then I was working sales and then manager. So a little mix of that. But So what kind of things did did you sell before you started at the cemetery? So Ashland was Fastenal. So that was a wholesale distributor. Mm -hmm. So we would go into big companies like Green Heck in town, uh, fill bins at different workstations for folks that are doing work that maybe they go through a hundred nuts and bolts or little fittings or anything. We'd be the company that come through and fill all the bins. So the employees never had to stop working. They could just keep doing what they needed to do. And so we did, it was a lot of delivery. It was, it was kind of a order taker slash delivery guy, you know, but it was considered an outside sales position, but so that was, uh, that was a lot of running in that job for sure. And you talked about selling computers back in the day. 
That's true. I guess at the end of the day, I pretty much did sell wherever I was. Um, I've always had a, 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 call it a side hustle selling old snowmobiles. So always looking for those to, you know, pick up and rejuvenate and sell or whatever. So let's talk about that. That's the second time you mentioned yeah, I know. Well, snowmobiles. You, you just had it. It's winter time. It's snowmobile season. So. <laughs> And that's something you do with your dad, right? Yep, dad. And then, you know, it's the whole family for us. I, it started out when my son was born, the three of us, my wife and, and he and I, we'd jump in the truck and I'd go chase after an old snowmobile. If I found one on, I advertised online or I talked with somebody and they said, give me a call, come check out this old Artie cat. You know, I just want it out of the garage. We'd grab the trailer and I'd go grab it. And I might bring it home and clean it up and sell it for 50 bucks to help pay the bills, you know. And so that's, it's a hobby slash, you know, now it's more of just a hobby, but back in the day, it was a part-time job. I would pick up a few sleds a month and and, and sell them, flip them, and find another one and find some more. And all back sorts of in fun. the day, was that when you were still living at home? Is this something your dad got you started on, or you just were a snowmobile geek? He, I, I always snowmobiled when I was a kid, and he started restoring old ones and, and kind of chasing after them in the 90s when I was still living at home. But it wasn't until about 2002, about five years out of the house, that I suddenly then it was a, a thing. I don't know what flipped, but then that's when I started running everywhere. And it wasn't until, you know, my son wasn't born until 2007, so around then it was still going big. So for five years before he was even there, I was was running around hauling them all over the place and a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, now it's kind of the, the collections have been built. There's a bunch of them at my dad's in Anigo on his land in the pole barn. And there's, I think over 50 pieces between snowmobiles and sleighs and everything. And so how'd you get started in, in buying and selling and fixing up snowmobiles? I don't know. It was just interesting to me. For some reason, I always, there was a website I followed, vintagesleds.com back the 2002 range started out big and it was a kind of a big chat room for, you know, a forum for people posting questions and, and video or, you know, pictures. It was just an interesting thing, you know, like for, for you, law and all these books are interesting to me. I see really big books with too many words. So <laughs> snowmobiles fit my bill, you know? <laughs> so it's just it, it, like most hobbies. It's not that necessarily you, you like from now, any now it's not like I make money on it, but it's still fun. I still like looking at a snowmobile for sale and seeing, Oh, that'd be a good one to flip might not mean that I drop everything and go chase after like I used to, but it's still a hobby. I like going to the shows with the old ones or just going to ride them. You know, my son now got his uh, driver permit to ride on the trails this year for the first time. So, And do you have old sleds to ride without any suspension or do you have newer ones that you get to glide in comfort? The newest one my dad owns is a 2004, so that's still old by most aspects. The The trail one that I would ride is a 99 that I picked up a couple of years ago. But my thing is you, you can't pay full price for stuff. I mean, we got only a few hundred dollars into this sled, but it's a nice one. I found a deal. I'm a, I'm a deal shopper. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a mix. The trail rides are usually the we try to ride something a little newer, but the, the, the old vintage shows and stuff, you'll take the old ones and go putts around in the fields, things like that. It's fun. So you... I know you have three kids and is just your, is Gavin, Gavin's your oldest yep. and he's how old? He's 13 and a half. Okay. Is he the only one that's into the snowmobiles with you so far? Pretty much. Uh, the next oldest is Addie and she's, you know, she'll be six in February. She likes being outside, doesn't mind the cold, all that. This year, she's probably old enough now to actually like, you know, I'll, I'll get a good judge on it. I'll bring her to the land, you know, the, where dad has all the snowmobiles we call the land. He's got 75 acres as the playground. So I'll take her up there to Annie go this winter, put her on a sled with me and go ride around. And if she doesn't want to stop, then yeah, she's, she's into it. She's been like last year, she was almost too little yet to really do it a lot. Um, I think last year we were running a lot more. We didn't get to snowmobile as much as we wanted to, but, and then Grayson's, he's too young to call. He's only three. So yeah, he's too little. He's a wild card yet. <clears throat> so does Gavin help you fix them up too, or he just likes the riding part? I know no, my kids he, like the riding part. Yep. He, uh, no, he actually doesn't have a, he loves taking stuff apart. He's always enjoyed Legos and, you know, uh, all these other different connects, a bunch of different oh, yeah, stuff. The connects. Yeah. The building things. And so he actually was, was gifted. It's, uh, be my father-in-law's John Deere snowmobile he had since the mid eighties. And he gave that to Gavin because it had been parked for years. And so we took it all apart in the garage and ended up going to my dad's house. So his other grandpa and they worked on it this fall and now it's running. And so he gets to put it on the snow this winter and actually ride it knowing that, Assuming you know, that we get snow. Yeah. There's just enough to go like kind of test drive. 
drive, but we need some more. So yeah, so he does, he, he loves working on it. He's learning from me, learning from my dad. You know, I'm by no means a garage mechanic, but I can putz enough just to make, make myself dangerous, I guess. But. <laughs> hey, we all need hobbies to take our mind off of just life in life, general. Yeah, right. Definitely. So what, what was a pivotal moment in your life that got you to where you are today? What pivotal moment. I know there are so many of them, right? There is. I mean, when you really think about it, you know, honestly, the, the pivot for my life would, would probably be when we were up in Ashland and, and job was too much. And our third Grayson was born in October. And by the middle of winter, it was just a lot of things exploded. And it's like, this isn't working anymore. We realized we were happy when we first moved up there in the middle of nowhere. That's what we wanted. Actually, I should say that's kind of what I wanted to raise the family. <laughs> and I, your wife got dragged along, well, right? She liked, I mean, we were, we were definitely done with Rylanders. So we found somewhere to move that I found a job. Um, but it was, it was when we decided to move from there and figuring out where and what would be the best choice. And then Wassa was Green Bay, Wassa or Eau Claire. All three I liked, you know, but, but the outside two were slingshotting right past our parents. We were still going to be two or three hours away where Wassa at least was an hour to either one, you know, 45 minutes to my parents' house. So I think when we made that decision and then I found a job and then we found a house and it's like, wow, we're going. That, that was a pivotal because we went from living 20 miles south of Ashland to literally in the middle of nowhere, just huge farm fields all around us, you know, in middle of nowhere to right in Riverview, you know, in neighborhood. It was, it was a big change to wake up one day and say, whoa, we're in Wausau now. We're in town now, yeah. honey. <clears throat> and, and to actually, cause I came, my parents still live in the same house they built in 77 and we'll live there forever. I've been in that same place. So for me to like move my family around and to come here and actually have the feeling now that we're going to be here until the kids are out on their own. Like, I don't feel we're moving again somewhere else. We're planted for a while. It's a nice feeling. And it's, it's, you know, to know that I'm, you know, I'm happy here. I'm confident right now. It's, it's, that's a comforting feeling compared to the rest of the life still going on. You know, that's, that's, uh, that feels good. So when you were in Ashland working for fast and all, was what was it that finally was your breaking point that I'm not doing this anymore? Well, there was anything like huge. It was just it had been building for a while because that was a that was a job that was a, a highly physical. You you pretty much ran all day long, and they worked a minimum of fifty hour weeks. We lived twenty five minutes south of town, and so it had consistently gotten. It just wears down. You were never home would be my guess. Never home. And when I was home, I was still checking emails nonstop because some of my customers, you know, had night shifts that the team leads would be emailing in orders or emailing questions. And I would just keep up with it. I couldn't turn it off. So I think had I, maybe we lived closer to town. So there wasn't the long commute and I could walk in the door and put my phone down, not look at it the rest of the night. That would have helped a lot. But, you know, we have, at the time, it was a newborn baby um, who we had just spent, you know, three days up in Duluth for an emergency C-section in the middle of the night. You know, so that was chaos for the end of October. We still have a two-year-old baby that, you know, soon to be That's three. Busy. Yeah. Life was at the peak of chaos. So if it was right now, it'd be different. Youngest is three. You know, I mean, he's... A lot more He's on his still own. Busy. Still busy, but you know, not carrying them everywhere. No bottles, no diapers, things like that. So it's unique. For I, I'm completely happy it went the way it did. It probably wasn't as smooth as it could have been, or whatever. But it. Uh, yeah, but don't you think that those those trying times, while they might test you, test your relationship, test your family, those are what really force us to grow. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I look back at Ashland days and I realize how much I've grown. Just grew up. I mean, you know, I'm like I said, the big teddy bear. I'm also the big kid. I mean, I might be the really, tallest. Really, I never yeah. would have guessed Not that at all. one. Not at you all. You hide it so well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the. But but as I've we've gone through each of these, like we were talking about, how many pivotal moments you have. When I look back at them, it's like every time I've kind of learned. Oh, all right. That's a learning point there. You know, let's mark that down. So I don't even know. I mean, you know, it's fun to think ahead another five years or 10 years. What do I learn right now that I think I do have a good handle on, you know, that the next phase is like, wow, all right. So that's when I figured that out. So it's, it's life. So what were your big lessons in Ashland living in the middle of nowhere, being devoted to your 
your job and sacrificing your your family really ended up suffering from what i'm hearing it yep. was the family element that ultimately was the deciding factor in I need to do something different. Yeah, it, it totally, the, the the whole reason we love that, we had looked at Marquette to move up to, but wasn't finding any jobs that could support living up there. Um, we wanted, I should say, again, like I wanted, and Angie was in agreement, but we wanted more of the kind of old school approach to life or back in the, you know, old days out in the country. Yeah. Let's grow the big garden and, and, you know, things like that. And I think ultimately we got up there and it, it was better than what, we had in Rhinelander because we were right in town, right by the mill. And so it got us out in the country. It got us fresh air, but there was still things, you know, then we realized after a couple of years, it's like, wow, we're not so country. Like we thought the, the bugs would bother us. The, you know, we got chickens even, and those guys were a handful because we'd let them roam the yard and, you know, just things you do. And it's like, wow, that's okay. That's, we like the, uh, the vision of it all. But we didn't necessarily like the actual acting it out, I think is what and, – and like I said, as the kids, you know, you had number two, number three, we had no help nearby. I mean, yeah. family was two-plus hours. So, so it's, the idea was great. The reality, not so much. Yeah. Like we talk now is when the kids are older, if we had a place up north to get away to, great. But to actually live somewhere that desolate – it's different. I mean, up there, it, it, it was just even the, the, the folks that lived up there, a lot of great people, but it's just a, a really different feeling walking around up there talking with people than it is here walking around talking with people. Even at the grocery store, I think it was day number two we were here. I was at Aldi's. The checkout person, how are you doing today? Da, 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 da. And it said, what's new or something? Like, oh, unpacking. We just moved. Well, welcome to Wausau. And to me, that's why I didn't want big city was because people aren't personable. They aren't worried about someone else. And that's what I get out of Aldi's the first time I walk into Wausau. And, and I thought that was amazing. So, and, and we got like, a, we're home. Yeah. No, that's, that's, it took about two weeks. My wife had called me on her drive back from somewhere and she says, you know, we're home. She was, I, I just had that feeling. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to follow the map to get me home and I, I'm, we're home now, you know, so it's been kind of neat. Awesome. And we'll take a break. Got a minute left on his. No way. Mm -hmm. What's the lens? Go for it. So one of the big events that's transformed our whole world was COVID and the pandemic and the shutdown. And I know that when it came to cemeteries, funerals, processions, you guys were shut down and then you could only have immediate family. And then there were different rules and the rules just kind of kept changing. What were some of the lessons that you learned in the roller coaster of 2020 with the pandemic when it came to dealing with grieving families? It was rough. It, uh, cause when everything kind of shut down fast, then when we'd have a burial, we were trying to schedule, there was a point we weren't allowing anyone in the cemetery at all. It's almost like we locked the gates that only a funeral home could come out. And then we could allow families to come, but they had to stay in their car. Or they could get out of their car, but they had to stand next to the car. There was all these weird every day, every week. And it, it was a mix of our, our company, you know, trying to follow what's right or what's recommended or what, what everybody else is doing. We were kind of following the standard for the national cemeteries, what they had set up for rules. Um, we just tried to do what was right to, you know, kind of follow along. Ultimately, that didn't last that long when you were when you look back at it, and it kind of went back to, you know, even now we still limit how many people can be inside the building. Outside is kind of open to whatever. So, in most circumstances, we're outside with the families. It isn't as many rules we had to, but back then I realized how tough it was to tell somebody who, like we talked, to, is in the worst day of their life. Oh, sorry, you know, we can't have you know all thirty of your family show up. And it's sad now because it's become such a standard. Everybody just knows it that they're not even trying to plan anything. They're not even 
trying to figure out a way to pull off a, a proper tribute to the, this loved one. They're, they're cutting things, they're cutting corners, they're making it short. You know, they're not doing everything that they would have if things were normal. And so I, I worry about it because I think going forward, that's going to stick. Like people aren't going to want to relax and, and go back to large groups gathering, especially in these scenarios where usually it's older, older families, you know, older folks that are more worried about their health, things like that. So what are, what are some of the things that you learned in terms of how to maybe put families at ease, knowing that the world around us was in utter chaos and now they're going through one of the, the worst events of their life and you're supposed to find peace for them or help them find peace. Were there any tips that you picked up along the way of how to help them find peace in the chaos? A little bit. And like how we talked about, you know, the icebreaker or discussion gives us things to use later in appointment, like when we're pre-planning. Even in an appointment when they've lost someone, I'm still kind of doing that same talk. You know, I'm saying, hey, tell me about dad. What was he like back in the good days? So stuff like that comes up. And, and ultimately, it would end up back at the point, though, of I just wish we could get everybody together or I wish that you know, we could do this. So what we offered to families was even letting them come back when things calm down and have another service out at the park, not for an additional charge or anything like that. We've already talked now that we hope that if things clear up by next summer, we'd actually have one. Let's go with when. When. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, that we'd have like a special event at the park just because of this, that, you know, any of the, the, the families we worked with since last March, you know, over about a year ago, that maybe we'd invite all of them specially out to come out to have like a, a, another event or, extend another offer to say, Hey, do you want to have a, another go at this to try again? We, we've talked about different ideas. I don't know. Some are just, it is what it is. And, and that's how the timing happened. You know, it's kind of like someone passing in winter time. So it's tougher for all the family to travel, you know, on, on snowy roads and things like that. Or they put them on ice until it thaws out, I suppose. That can happen that's too. That's an option too. Yep. yep there is. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a who knows in that category yet, but it, we learned to just try to offer everything we could, but for a long time and even now are, are, we're limited. You know, we just, we're little by little, like things are starting to pop back up that maybe weren't there six months ago. So that's kind of a nice thing to see, but it's, it's taking some time for sure. So with your history in sales, what are some lessons that you've learned? working in the cemetery business that you didn't necessarily pick up in any of your other sales jobs? I definitely, actually, I've learned more about sales in the last two years here than I have at any of my other sales job because the other ones are almost, like I mentioned fast, I was kind of the delivery driver. To me, that was 80% of it. You know, then write in a few blanks to fill out what the order was. That was it. I've learned a lot. So some of that I use, but, but most of it's just learning. Some folks you know, don't have a problem, you know, it, it, it might not necessarily be the, the cost of it or the, the, the location. It's, it's what they want. And it's reading body language to see that they're both comfortable with something that, you know, you're on the right path. So then you can keep building on it with that. Like when we sit down, we always go through a, a little presentation. We talk about the funeral planning guide. We go through that. And then it's kind of like, okay, here's the fun part. You know, what do you, what have you daydreamed of? What do you guys have in mind? Or, you know, what is something you'd like to picture yourself be, you know, that's your final resting place. And you get a couple ideas out there and some of them are duds. You know, you, you can tell from the response that, I mean, they're looking at it. They're maybe watching a, a picture or something, but they're like, but they're not, they're checked out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you go through four or five different ideas where then it's kind of like, there's a, a light. I mean, if it's a couple, a husband, wife, they make eye contact. They they literally will look at each other when you see the one that they like. And if you show them a different one, they just kind of both look at it. It's it's weird little body language things I've seen. So have you honed your skills on picking up on those those little looks and that body language to know I'm on the right track or I got it? Yep, totally. You have to. Otherwise, you're you're really not doing them any help either because you're just kind of throwing out more ideas, you know, and asking questions. That's that's probably the biggest thing I've ever learned was was making sure.
got to love kids walking in, don't you? <laughs> Oops. Recording. We're live. Oh, darn it. And I had a question. Oh, I know what it was. <clears throat> so you, you talked about how you've learned a lot more about sales. Have you been doing any studying or reading or is it simply trial and error and what you experience at work? Mostly that. Um, a year ago I did attend a conference. Um, you know, so you've heard of TED talks, which are kind of yeah. like informative things. Our conference in the death care industry that we're referred to was called dead talks out in Vegas. So we still have big events that bring everybody in and then you listen to speakers, folks that have been in the industry for a long time. That was really informational. You know, they kind of walked out of there with some ideas of, of, Hey, this is a neat idea, this and that. It comes down to it though. You, you really learn a lot from the families you sit down with. You know, if I flash back to the first six months of me working in this position, I would laugh at myself if I watched videos because I might have thought I knew what I was doing, but I know I'm so much more smooth and easily delivering options or just having a discussion where maybe when you're new in a position, you're so nervous with things, you want to do it right. Where now you're like, once you learn things, you're more apt to just kind of let it flow and, and hey, that sounds good. That's great. You know, but you're throwing in those right questions that you're saying, well, is, is this something you can see yourself doing? You know, if, if you're going to do this, would these terms work for you? You know, all these sorts of ways of kind of following the, the, the process that we use, you know, it, it it's, uh, it's, it's very intricate with families. You're doing a lot of things that way, but you're also, you know, making sure that they're taken care of and you're, you're doing right by the company as well, offering all the services and products that we have. All right. So I usually ask if you were 20, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Let's just not even go that far back. If you could go back with the knowledge you have today, go back two years ago when you started or even when you submitted your application for a restaurant, what would you tell yourself? Pick up the phone more. That is there nowadays, digital marketing, all that stuff will definitely attract more clients. But for us, the age group of the fifties and sixties, a lot of them do use online, but that's still, it's still the old school way of getting appointments is, is sitting on the phone, calling the families that we've had contact with in the past, you know, working through all the names and just sending out letters, sending out all that sort of stuff, work harder at the prospecting side of it, you know, and make more appointments because more appointments means more families, more chances to, you know, have somebody get arranged and then ultimately, you know, is more successful. So don't be afraid of the the one-on-one human contact of talking to somebody. Yep. Oh, the, the, the one-on-one, like put me in a room. That's awesome. But yeah, the, 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 we'll call it the work, the work part of it, the, the using the phone and sitting down and, and focusing on making phone calls for an hour and just get some phone calls out there. I'm, I'm so, you know, I'll, I'll make a couple calls and then it's like, Oh, I should work on this project for Bob. He called me last week. You know, just things like that. The, the focus part is always the, so if I could go back, I would just push myself more on that. It would keep me busier and, and, more things going on, but you know, you try to balance it all, I guess, at the and end of the day. Do you take that? Is that how you, you handle yourself at work now is you're not afraid to pick up the phone and make those calls? Less and less. It's getting better. It is. It's such a, <laughs> it's such an easy thing to do, but it's such a, uh, it's like a mountain to climb up to just try to do it all the time. I, in my head, when I'm at home or I'm not at work, I'm always running through what the next day at work is going to be like. I'm like, oh, I got from 10 until noon. I don't have anything going on. So I'm going to get a bunch of phone calls. And ultimately, something pops up in the morning where I'm like, oh, darn it. You know, can't get all them you calls You find in. some other excuse not to yeah. do it, right? So there's always something that does get done, but I always end the week thinking I could have done more. And maybe that's how I always would be, even if I I did a lot, you know, then I'd still feel like, oh, I could have fit more in. So I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, that's my one thing I always carry around, though, as far as work-wise. And in that time, do you have a a number of people that I want to make X number of calls within a certain period of time? We try, we shoot to do 10 hours of prospecting a week, and that could be a mixture of emails, phone calls, letters in the mail, uh, networking, such as Kiwanis, you know, or, or even doing things like this where you're out and meeting folks, doing things, you know, 
a mixture of that is is getting the word out. You know, and in some weeks you might call, you know, 20 people an hour for an average or so, so you get 60, 80, 100 people you talk to and 15 of them might want an appointment. You know, so then all of a sudden you have a busy week planned so that maybe the less the rest of that week and next week is so busy you don't get many phone calls in. So it's kind of a an ebb and flow or however you want to word it that you get some busy stretches. Sometimes everybody wants to sit down and everybody says yes. And then some weeks it's just really quiet and you you can call as many folks as you want and nobody wants to because of the weather or now has been a great excuse. You know, there's a, there's a pandemic, so they don't want to go anywhere. I mean, we do, we've started doing digital appointments, you know, a whole bunch of options for folks to be able to still sit down and, and start the conversation. So it's, it's actually made it because of all of this in the last 10 months for us, at least, or for myself, when I sit and I think about it and look at it, it's easier now than ever for somebody to sit down and at least start the conversation, which most folks, when I, when you look at their notes and, and some of them, They've met with us in the past. They might have met with us a couple of times. And then if they ultimately sit down with me and purchase something, it's taken all those visits to get them to the phase in their mind that they want to say, okay. I'm ready to pull the trigger. I'm ready. So finding somebody brand new and meeting with them on the computer just to go over a few things in the planning guide and then they don't want to go any farther with it, that still was step one. So maybe six months from now, I try calling them again, and they're like, yeah, you know what? We'll come out for a tour. That's what you're always, you can call it chasing, you know, or, or whatever, however, but that is, you know, not often do you have somebody walk in the door that's brand new to Restalon, that you go through everything, and they just pick something out. You fill it in all the blanks. They write a check, and they're all pre-planned and done, all in a three-hour adventure. You know, well, and I know one of the first business coaches that I've worked with, and I had heard him speak at at legal conferences. His rule of thumb, and, and I've adopted it, is that you need five contacts per week to grow your business and three to maintain it. And that it's more important to keep those contacts going even when you're busy. Because if you let them go and let them slide because I'm so busy, you'll notice that your phone doesn't quite ring as much. And I have paid attention to that and noticed it over the years that when I really do focus on my five contacts per week, my phone is ringing off the hook. I'm opening more files because I'm getting more clients through the door. And then when I drop it down, the phone calls go with it. It may not be immediately, but they go along. And then I've just, over the years, I've changed my definition of how how I define client development, what it looks like. So in your prospecting, just out of curiosity, in your 10 hours a week, do you count going to the grocery store, for example, and talking to people? Or if you're talking to people at your kids' schools, making sure that people know what you do and where you do it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, even walking around the park, you know, warmer weather, you know, there's people visiting. Those are folks that see the value of a cemetery, what it's all about, giving somewhere, you know, safe and serene to visit, you know, your loved one. And so walking up to someone and just saying hi, being able to hand over a business card or sometimes even throwing out the question of just saying, Hey, so where's your name written down out here? You know, just casual conversation. Yeah, you're putting it out there. You know, you're saying if you ever have questions, give me a call. So it does become something you you live and breathe that, boy, even on a Sunday afternoon run to the grocery store, if if there's some weird reason for me to bring it up, it gets brought up. It, it, it There's never a day that I, you know, it wouldn't. You know, it's, it's just something that you become and, and I don't know, it is. You, you want to mention it to everybody because you never know when someone needs it, you know. Right. Well, and I've had people... I'm in the checkout line at the grocery store and being told your office did such a great job because so-and-so needed a will right away and they called and we got taken care of. And the only reason they called my office is because I go to the grocery store and they know that I'm a lawyer. Didn't necessarily know what I did, but she's a lawyer. Call her office and see. So we make sure that everybody knows what we do and where we are. Yep. 
and it, it truly makes a difference. And it's just shifting your mindset. Oh, exactly. So what is knowing that you deal with difficult situations on a regular basis? What's one difficult situation from your life that actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise? Oh, boy, getting into the the Excuse good question. Bless you. The good questions now. You save those towards the end. Yeah. The difficult situation. The ones that are really going to make you think. Yeah. Getting me sweaty now. Boy, <laughs> the difficult. I, you know what? Honestly, it, it, it even, it's probably when we've moved, when we, when we started out in, in right. No, I could say difficult situation would have been, I was married once before. And so that was, you know, getting, moving away from that and, and meeting Angie now was, was one of those things that I guess I didn't realize how difficult of a situation I was in, you know, knowing that there was a whole nother page of life to start, you know, that was probably a, a big change there that was nice to know. Otherwise, every time we've moved was always like a, it's a big shift of life, you know, that difficult. Unknown. Yeah. And, and so you were excited to make a change, but yet you were leaving your comfort zone, you know, kind of the same thing with, with the, the marriage thing there. Well, you know, growth does lie outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> goes even with the telephone thing. That's outside the comfort zone. Somebody right. that's on the phone all day long could walk into this job and set up a bunch of appointments because they have no problem being on the phone. But then you still have to be good sitting down with somebody. They might not be great face to face. So face to face, that's where I thrive. It's that's that putting, whole big teddy bear yes, thing. Yes, totally. So it's but it's the yeah the the comfort zone. That's you know, a good point. That's exactly right. So, what's the best piece of advice that you've received so far in your life? Oh. You know, it's not even, it's, it's the same statement and it's corny because it's in movies, it's in all that, but I've heard it from almost every single family I sit down with. Either they're, it it doesn't matter, pre-planning, they've lost someone or their spouse passed, they're in their seventies. They, they all look at me and they say, just appreciate what you got now. You know, don't let time go by, you know, spend time with the kids. All of those sort of corny movie quotes. I hear those in life almost every day at work. You know, people will pass on that info. Anybody that's older than me, they're 60s, 70s, 80s, who knows what. It's almost like they want to let everyone know that's younger than them that, hey, you know, because maybe we start talking about kids or, you know, like I said, we talk about a little history of who it was that passed and they'll go through all this and that and maybe I'll share a little common thing. And that's, that's probably the most... I hear that a lot. It's just, I don't know. It always sticks out to me. Well, I suppose it goes along with the old adage that yesterday is the past, tomorrow's the future, and today is the present because yeah. every day is a gift. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, you're, that, that's been told a couple times too about today <laughs> or we're not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. That, that term. None of I, us are. No. And, and so it, 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 it's a time people reflect. I mean, like I said, they've been up all night. They've been through who knows what in the last couple of weeks or days, months. And when they're in that one point sitting in the chair is when, yeah, kind of like the, the philosophy side comes out and they have a lot of wisdom, which I love. I, a lot of stories I bring home to Angie and you know, we sit and talk about things like. So here's the, the philosophy side. How do you define success? I think if a person is happy, you're successful. Uh, money in the bank is just money in the bank. Uh, bills are always going to be there if you move. You know, you're, we're eating, we're moving creatures, so there's going to be a cost to life. If, if if you can go home at night smiling from your job and you you whatever the scenario, you have kids at home, you don't. You have a spouse, you don't. If you're happy, you're successful. I don't know. I, I guess that'd be mine. You know, it's amazing how many people tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> Teeny boppers? Usually not so much. Well, they're usually just looking for jobs with higher pay, I would assume. <laughs> you know, that'd be the common thread. <laughs> oh. And final question. What's one thing that if you could just snap your fingers and make it happen that you would change about today's society? Oh, you know... Yeah, respect. I that's my old man thing I'll be saying to everybody when I'm on my front porch drinking coffee someday. 
is no kid, Rodney Dangerfield. Nobody, no respect. Got no respect. Got no respect. I've said that for years. I, I don't think enough humans in the world respect each other. There's just no common. Everybody's angry right now, and it just seems like that's only going to get worse. I, Do you I think people respect themselves. No, I think that's where it starts. You don't, uh, and okay, bring it back to the cemetery side of things. I sit down with folks and sometimes the comment is, you know, maybe we're working on mom or dad's arrangements and now it's a follow-up appointment. So we're kind of reviewing a few things and I'll bring up the question. Hey, have you ever, you know, thought about arrangements for yourself? Like, Oh, you just throw me in a ditch. And that's a very common thing. Cremation is on the rise. It's well above traditional casket burials now. And 10 years from now, could probably be even the majority of, of all deaths are cremations. It gives you the freedom to do almost anything you want to, really. But that's what everybody always says. And a lot of people do just get scattered at the lake or, you know, do all these goofy things that... I just don't get, but at the end of it, they, they say these things about themselves and it's like, do you respect yourself? Do you have any sort of feeling that, I mean, you've, you've lived a life, you've maybe had kids, you've had jobs, you've met coworkers, you know, people you've changed lives, whether you knew it or not. And now you just want to throw yourself out, you know, not put your name down somewhere and actually have a, a peaceful resting space, you know, whether it's with me at restaurant or, or a, another cemetery anywhere in the world. You know, give yourself a little respect that way. I think that is so, so true. Because I, I agree that if you really look at what's going on in the world, if people respected others, they wouldn't treat each other the way that they do without exactly. getting to know them or even if they knew them. Yeah. Yeah, I think because everybody, you're going to have differing opinions, opinions, whether it's politics or sports or brands of snowmobiles. You know, there's always going to be a, an A or B. And those two people collide, it seems like, all the time now. You know, Facebook posts. I, I deleted Facebook. I couldn't handle the negative comments even on an ad for sale for kids' toys. Nobody can just say, hi, thanks for posting that anymore. You know, there's there's always a bashing going on. And and so even in real life, I, it's just, I don't know, I, I have that sick feeling that it's going more of a downward slide on that than it is on an upward. So hopefully it it doesn't, but we'll uh, we'll yeah. see what happens in the future. All we need to do is we start need to, we need to lead by example, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'll keep trying to make people laugh and be respectful and we'll go from there. <laughs> we just see where it goes. Well, thank you so much, Gary. I appreciate sitting down and chatting with you. It's, it's always fun talking to Cemetery Gary. Thank the big you very old much. teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. You betcha.